Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. My name is Wayne Risher. I'm the executive pastor here at FaithBridge. Joining me today is senior and founding pastor Ken Werline, who just taught a message on baptism today. And we're using Postscript really for two things. One, there was some additional material that would be very helpful for us today. And Ken, you're going to get an opportunity to share the additional information we couldn't do uh, from the stage. And then we gave an opportunity for some of you to text in a question uh, if you wanted further clarification. So we're going to get the opportunity today to do both, get the additional information and a few of the questions answered that were texted in today. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. Good message today. Thank you. I'm looking forward to that. Ken, let me just jump right in, and I'm going to ask you several questions. And uh, the first question I have is, if, if I was baptized as an infant... Help me sort of understand where that tradition comes from so I kind of know how I can uh, carry that forward in my life from today. Yeah, well, if you're going to understand where it came from, it's really nothing new. You have to understand, in original biblical times, the Jewish family was, it's a very communal society. See, we in the West here in America, we're very individualized. We do our own individual lives and and. You do things different from your wife and your children. Now, yours are grown, but mine are still at home. But, but even there, we have a lot of individuality, right? In those days, no. It was a family unit. And so they would work together. They'd do their chores together. They would worship together. They would pray together. They would eat together. Then at night, they'd roll the mattress out, and they'd all sleep there in the one room that because it was usually a one-room house. That's why you read about when Jesus was saying, was talking about the midnight visitor, go away, not, 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 not go away. You're going to get me up, and if I get up, the whole family is, oh, is going to okay. wake up. So it's very, very communal. This ties absolutely into the original biblical church and infant baptism. You read out of the seven times in the New Testament where water baptism is mentioned, three of them, three of the seven, say he was baptized, he and all his household. Mm. Now, what's going on there? Well, the implication is, if I'm going to become Christian, the papa of the <laughs> father, all of us are going to be Christian. We're going to be Christian together. I'm deciding it as a family. Now, sometimes people protest and they say, yeah, but it never says that infants were included. <laughs> yeah, but contrarily, it never says that they weren't. Okay. And if they weren't, if it was like he and all his household except the infants, they would have said that. Somebody would have stepped up and, and said, we probably need to address this. The fact that it is not said, that nothing is said, is how we know. Well, as a matter of fact, that wasn't a problem. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have even made sense to them to, to differentiate. Here's why. What was the, the, the rite of passage or the ritual that families would put their newborn sons through. Instantly, they would be 
circumcised. Uh, right. That's how I'm marking my child. Now, he doesn't know what it means to be Jewish yet. He's just a little tiny baby. But I'm marking him as one of the family of God, and we're going to rear him and bring him up in the nurture of our Jewish family and teach him the ways of God, and he'll grow into this faith. But we're marking him as one of the family of God. So see, for the Jewish people, and this is who the primary first converts were, of course, were Jews that were putting their trust in Christ. For this first generation of Christians, it only made sense to them, okay, so we're replacing Passover with the Lord's Supper. Uh Yes. Therefore, what is the replacement for circumcision? Baptism of even the little ones. And, and furthermore, now there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Even the females can be marked in a way that we couldn't do exactly with uh, uh, circumcision. And so this is why actually the question's asked the wrong way when we say, uh, where did this tradition come from? No, see, it was always part of the original church. Otherwise, Scripture would have said, uh, 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 but not the babies. Uh-huh. Okay? So you move into church history, the same thing. You see Origen, early theologian. You see Augustine, who comes along, and he too writes about infant passages. You get up to the uh, Reformation, and you get uh, Calvin, you get Luther, um, you get Zwingli, and they're going to come up and they're going to say, <clears throat> we need to re- restore the church. We have gotten way off track. And so what were they going to do? Well, they were going to embrace the, the uh, foundation of Scripture, sola scriptura, and we're going to embrace faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Not through our works, not through paying indulgences to to the priest to help build his cathedral and somehow, therefore, I'm getting somebody out of hell uh, because I get a little extra money. No, no, no. Sola scriptura, sola fide, all the solas, the onlys. But you notice the reformers, they didn't touch infant baptism. Mm -hmm. They continued, Calvin and Luther, they continued to baptize the babies. That wasn't part of the Reformation, they said, well, the church has always done this, so we'll continue to do this. Now, were they also baptizing new converts who had not been marked in infancy? Sure, they would baptize those people just like we uh, read about in Scripture, where uh, somebody says, well, baptize me now. I never was baptized. Mark me now. And so the church has always done both. It wasn't really until four or 500 years ago when you had some people who came along who said, you know, there's a lot of people who've been baptized when they were little, babies, but they sure don't live like baptized people. They don't live like Christians. Maybe they're operating in a false sense of assurance or security. Hey, I was baptized. I can live like hell. Um, Maybe we ought to just withhold the baptism until they get serious about God okay. and repent and trust in Christ, then we'll do the baptism. And so that's really what changed historically and theologically what's going on. Well, 
in, in, in salvation, who is the primary actor? God is always the hero of the story, all right? We're never the hero of the story. We're just the recipient of what the hero has done, giving us the gospels. As John 6, says, no one can come to me, Jesus speaking, unless the Father who has sent me draws him and to me, okay? And so in baptism, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, we're celebrating in infant baptism, well, and believer's baptism, we're celebrating the hero is God. He's the one who's bringing the salvation here. We're just entering into it, stepping into it and saying, yep, we're a part of this, which means that the infant baptism is, well, think of it as sort of a two-act drama. Okay. You have act one, and you have act two. Act one, for the infants, was the infant baptism, being marked as part of the family of God. That then begs the question, well, where is act two? Because act two would be when they actually confirm their faith, and they say, yep, that baptism that happened to me when I was a little baby that I knew nothing about, I'm owning it now. I'm stepping into that faith. I've trusted in Christ. He really is my Savior. That's Act 2, Okay. right? People who had never been baptized an infant, what are you doing? We're celebrating Act 1 and Act 2 at the same time. Number 1, Act 1, we're baptizing you because Act 2 has happened right here today. You've trusted in Christ, or this week, or this month, or this season. You've trusted in Christ. So we'll celebrate them both together at the same time. Now the question arises, okay, if then we're doing the infant baptisms, where, Faith Bridge, where is the confirmation? The confirmation. So I want to talk about that just a minute. Because uh, a lot of mainline churches run a confirmation class. Typically, it's when children are about 12 years old. And <clears throat> typically, mom and dad say, honey, we got to get you signed up for confirmation. Why do I have to go to confirmation? <laughs> because everybody else is doing it, and you're 12. And I don't want the bus to pull out of the station without you on it. Let's get you over there. Some churches, they do it. You know, it's four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or 20 weeks. It depends on the church and the tradition. And I once worked at a church where part of my job was to teach the confirmation class. Okay. And I noticed something. Most of the 12-year-olds, especially the boys, they were no more aware of what was going on. There was no confirmation of their faith. Only thing they were confirming is, I want some of those donuts that you serve here. <laughs> Give me the donuts. That's why I'm coming to this thing that mom wants me to come. But it meant nothing. And that's where I said, well, wait a second, I don't want to, to put people through an act two in this two-part drama if that act is meaningless. And so from the start here at FaithBridge, we said we're not going to have a confirmation class per se, one class that you do when you're 12 and whoops, if you missed it, sorry. No, we're just going to have a lot of potential confirmation experiences, mm. confirmation moments. That's helpful. So a, a, a young person comes to a point of confirming, I've trusted in Jesus. And maybe they're 
fourth grade or sixth grade. Well, fourth grade, you're not up to 12 yet, right? So you don't have to wait. You're saying, I'm confirming, I'm taking ownership of this faith for myself. Maybe uh, you're a late bloomer, especially boys tend to not be as spiritually precocious sometimes as girls. And so maybe you don't get serious about your faith till 16 or 17 or 18 or, you know, something along those lines. Maybe you go on a road journey and it's, it's like, wow, I really believe this. I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm, put, I'm, I'm surrendering my life to, to Christ. So we have a lot of different confirmation experiences. But coming full circle to the history, think of it like a circle. If I had the whiteboard, I'd just I'd draw a circle. And the circle represents the family of God. Okay. In infant baptism, what, what we're saying is this new child that's born out here, we're bringing him into the circle. Now, does that guarantee that act <clears throat> two the confirmation of that faith one day is going to be transacted? No, it doesn't guarantee it. The truth is that little one who grows up into youth and adulthood eventually, he could say to hell with it all. I'm stomping over it. I'm walking out of the circle. I don't want anything to do with mm. that Christian faith or the baptism that happened in my uh, name or in, in Christ's name over me. Yeah. On the other hand, what our hope is is that by bringing the child in, marking the child, we're saying, uh, you're part of the family of God, and we're going to do everything we can, and that you will, when you're old enough to understand this, step in and say, I take ownership of that faith myself. Sort of like a, a bird's nest. Suppose you have a bird's nest. Do you keep the egg outside the bird's nest and say, I hope you really hatch out and that you become a good bird? <laughs> okay. And if, if you are, we'll bring you in. <clears throat> mm -hmm. No. What you do is you bring them in, and you nurture that egg in the hopes that it'll crack out, and it will become a bird and grow into the fullness of that potentiality residing inside the eggshell. Okay. So that's a little history of what's going on um, with uh, the baptism. So if I wasn't baptized as an infant but chose to accept Christ's grace later— mm -hmm. I get act one and two together. Bam, yeah. right there. As a believer. Uh -huh. yeah. You're being marked yep. outwardly and uh, because you're confirming inwardly. No, I understand. Uh, that's that's great. The analogy of the bird is helpful. Uh, so uh, infant baptism. What about dedication? Well, let's talk about that. Because certainly churches that don't do infant baptism, who say we are only going to do the believer, once he or she's old enough to profess that faith in Christ, um, which, as I tried to illustrate with the illustration of Bill Henson, is still no guarantee. Here he was, a 10-year-old, going forward saying, I want that. But deep down, he's doing it because he just wanted the praise of his parents. But for the sake of discussion, let's assume churches that say we're only going to baptize believers. Okay. So you have to be older to know what you're or theoretically, to know what you're saying yes to. What do we do if we're a mom and a dad and we have a, a new baby? We say, well, we're not going to baptize them, but I don't want to think of my child as being outside the circle. Have you got any practice for me? 
And that's where infant dedication came, where we say, okay, it doesn't mean exactly the same thing, but we're going to bring you in and we're going to uh, hold you up like <laughs> Lion King, and, and we're going to dedicate you to God, and, and we're going to say, God, this child is yours, and we want him to belong to you one day. So it's very similar. Okay. It's just a little technical thing, and we're not doing the, the water um, in that service. Well, speaking of water, there are a variety of options. I hear sprinkling, pouring, immersion. Sure. What, help us understand a little bit about the methodology. Yeah. Well, okay, so all of it goes back to this word baptizo in the, in the Greek. And the interesting thing about baptizo is that this is a word that's used with great latitude in Scripture. And so, for example, in one instance, you read about uh, baptizo, and you put it in the context, and you say, clearly, this was somebody who was being submerged, uh, plunged in. You even read, I was reading the story of Nicander of Colophon, and he used the word, this is not a Christian story, but he was making a recipe for pickles, and how you make pickles. And he used, this was a couple of years before, a couple hundred years before Jesus, and he used the, bap, the, the word baptizo twice. He said, in this recipe to make your pickles, you'll baptizo the cucumber in boiling water, and then you'll baptizo it in vinegar. And when it dies, it'll go to heaven. Not really. And so, <laughs> so, so you have this submersion that's going on. But then in another instance, you read in Daniel 4.23, for example, in the Septuagint, it talks about how King Nebuchadnezzar was baptized, baptized in dew, the dew that comes in the middle of the night. Well, that'd be a load of dude if you're going to be <laughs> baptized. So that is, so here doesn't mean that it means more of a sprinkling okay. uh, sort of thing. So you see, you have different variations. This word baptizo is used with different uh, uh, latitude. What I say, and what we've always said here at Faithbridge, is we'll do any of the three ways that church, that the church historically has baptized people. Okay. Um, Certainly, I, I enjoy the, the, the traditional putting them under the water and bringing them out, um, and uh, that's an exciting thing like you saw in the video, and we clap and praise the Lord for what's happening here. But equally uh, meaningful is when someone is, has the water poured on them, especially if you look at church history, probably that's what was happening in the Roman catacombs where the Christians were huddling underground huh. secretly. Probably that's the way that okay. they were having to do it, is to pour the water over somebody's head. And then uh, uh, the sprinkling as well, yet another way uh, that baptism happens um, th throughout history. I'll do any which way that the individual wants. I'll illustrate. Some years ago, we were at a believer's baptism, like the one that we're going to have on February the 6th, and uh, one of the ladies confided in me before she went into the water. She, she said, I need to tell you something. I, I'm terrified of water. Huh. And I said, really? 
She said, yes, I will. It may have had something to do with a traumatizing experience she had as a little baby or a child or something. She said, I'm not going to put my head under that water. I would go into a panic. I'm like, well, I don't want you going on a panic attack. Good heavens, that's, that's no good. I said, so how far do you want to go in? She said, I'll go into my chin, and I won't panic. But you're not going to press me under and hold. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I said, okay. So we go under the water when it was her turn, and I just explained, and this dear lady really has you know, a little bit of a fear of water. We get that. We understand that. We all got our things. So she's going to, so she bends her knees uh-huh. and she goes down. And then I just took the water and I said, can I just put this on top of you? So her heart was right. She uh-huh. just had a phobia of yeah. water. Um, another similar situation, I remember there was a lady who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, she, she was like, I, I, can't, I cannot get in there the pool okay well uh but you came because you wanted to be baptized. yes i want to be baptized but you're not going to step nope i'm i'm afraid of stepping off and it'll get too deep and like okay another similar sort of so i said okay you don't have to get in here's what i want you to do would you bow would you kneel down right here at the edge and i asked the lady who whose home it was could you bring me a picture and she brought a picture and i, I just got the water and I poured it out on her head as it dripped into the pool. Now, the other people came in. We did it that way. But I illustrate saying, you know, there's different ways to do that. And the, the, the method is not what we need to get hung up on. Any more than you, you have met with a lot of young men and women and couples, as have I over the years. Sometimes you hear a young man say, what size diamond <laughs> right. should I buy right. my fiance, my future fiance? Like, buddy, I buy whatever you can afford, but I wouldn't go in debt about it. Why? Because it's not the diamond that's going to make this marriage happen. That's, that's just a representation of something far deeper and more meaningful. Similarly, let's not get hung up on bad. Uh, pouring or sprinkling or submersion um, because that's just the, the sign or the symbol uh, that we're practicing. Well, that, that's very clarifying. So I have been baptized. Is there a time when someone would get rebaptized, or if, if, is that necessary? Yeah. Well, n- no, it really <clears throat> is not necessary, and here's why. Ephesians uh, 4 tells us there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And like I was saying a few minutes ago, who is the star of the show? God is the star of the show. We're never the hero. Of the... Now, we'll clap when somebody comes out of the water. We're, we're saying, hey, way to go. But at a deeper level, who are we celebrating? We're celebrating the God of salvation yeah. who brought this whole thing about and who wooed you and drew, drew you and called you in to a saving relationship with him. Now, if you go away from God, and this is what happens many times. Somebody, they have a wild college or a wild young adulthood, and they live like hell. And then they come back and they say, I'm back. I'm back. I need God. My family needs it. My marriage needs God. My parenting, we need God. I need you to baptize me. Well, you were already baptized? Oh, yeah, I was baptized. Been baptized twice, as a matter of fact. I got baptized as a 
child, then I got baptized as a teen. Okay, well, technically, you don't really need a third one. We already did that because God hasn't changed. You're kind of going in and out. Now, what the church has developed over the years is a service that we call remembering your baptism. Huh, okay. Where we say, hey, you know what? We don't have to keep baptizing you. Let's just remember your baptism. And in various churches, they have this little thing that you shake out water and remember your baptism. And I never bought one of those. I say, if you want me to help you remember your baptism, why don't you come on over February 7th? I'll put you under and you won't forget it. Yeah. And, and we'll remember your baptism. Technically, we don't need to call that a rebaptism because you've already been baptized. What I think you're wanting is to mark uh, the moment. I'm back. I'm serious yeah. about good. Good. But, you, you know, and you may fall away again for a season or fall off the wagon if you have a, a hurt or habit or addiction. We don't need to, you don't need to be baptized 17 times. Uh, you got know. it, yeah. Because um, God's not changing in, in this whole deal. So in a way, that's a confirmation moment. Yes. I'm confirming what I'm, began a while back, yes. and now I'm reclaiming that's that. Yeah, right. That's good. Well, now here's where a question would come in that was asked by text. Um, so when Jesus was baptized, yeah. <clears throat> and John took him down in, into the water, yeah. uh, the scripture you, you talked about today tells us that the heavens opened up, and like a dove, the Spirit descended on him. So does that mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't with Jesus prior to his baptism? <laughs> Let me explain the Trinity, <laughs> which for centuries has uh, been one of the most uh, unique, wonderful, but confusing uh, theological subjects. Can I describe what percentage of the Holy Spirit was in Jesus or what percentage? I can't describe that. I can't answer that. But what we do, you know, here's, here's the best way that I think uh, I ever heard to explain the Trinity. It's rather homely illustration. Suppose you have a, a cherry pie, and it's a really good cherry pie. It, that means the, the, the insides, the goopy stuff, is, it all flows together. It's not the little hard, like, jello, kind of that, not that cherry pie. <laughs> okay. It's, it's really warm and soft. And Now, if you cut that pie into three pieces, if it's this kind of cherry pie, you're going to have to put the plate right up to the edge and get the spatula and then you flip it out. Why? Because all that red gooey stuff is, is going to go spilling out, right? Now, on the surface, you see three very clear demarcations. But underneath, it's all flowing together. How that works its way out in Father, Son, Holy Spirit at this era, in this iteration, and, you know, how much of the Holy Spirit... Uh, what was when we talked about Jesus at the temple two weeks ago? Clearly, he's he's hearing from the Father more clearly, and, and uh, we know that the Spirit was hovering over him to get him uh, that far the whole way through. But here, at the beginning of his ministry, something's happening, being transacted, even at a more powerful level. The precision of which we'll have to ask him in heaven. <laughs> Very good. Because I don't think we can uh, quantify the portions of the, the Spirit and the Father and the Son as they all flow together. All right. So 
finally, <clears throat> a question in our infant baptism and dedication class we often get is, uh, suppose my unbaptized baby, infant, mm. would pass away. Mm. Will they go to heaven? Mm. Sure. Help us understand that. Yeah, and that's a normal fear. Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I remember you telling me a story. I think you should you should tell that story here because it is very pastoral, very accurate <clears throat> to scripture and truth, and very helpful because I suspect it's in, there might be somebody watching who has that very question. Why don't you talk about that? I, I received a call just at the beginning of COVID when everything was shutting down. Uh, a lady called the church. She was loosely connected to Faith Bridge through one of our Faith Bridgers, and she. She said, uh, Pastor, I, I need you to get down here to Texas Children's Hospital right away, 911. And so I called her back, and I said, hey, what's going on? And she said, my baby, uh, about eight weeks old, um, struggling with some other medical complications, including some underdeveloped lungs, and, um, and, and has COVID, and uh, probably not going to make it. I said, oh, my gosh. She said, so I need you to get down here right away to baptize my baby because I want to make sure I see the baby in heaven. Mm. And I realized right then, oh, she may not have a clear understanding. And I said, as you choose this for your child, they're not choosing this. Mm. So they're not choosing sin. They're just laying there in the NICU, just ill as can be. Mm. And so uh, understanding that my answer to her was, of course, your baby is going to be in heaven uh, because um, at the end of the day, we're not baptizing or dedicating for the purpose of salvation. That's act two. Yeah. Uh, and so we want to confirm that when they're ready spiritually, sure. emotionally. And uh, and so uh, after a good long talk with her, I told her I'll be happy to come down and share a sacred moment with you. But you need to understand that it's it's not the baptism that's saving your baby. Uh, your baby will be in heaven with you, and uh, I'll celebrate that. Uh, and so uh, that's what I shared with her and the story that, that, that I had shared with you. So really, just for those who are joining us today, the infant baptism isn't the salvation moment. Yeah. You're affirming that that's correct. Yeah. 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 What did the lady say? Uh, did you still go down? She said, no need to come down, Pastor. She said, just pray for me over the phone. Pray for my baby. And, uh, and then she came to the church uh, several months later, put her arm around me, and told me that her baby was with the Lord. I and it. I celebrated with her. So. Which is right, because uh, uh, that little baby had no chance yet to uh, shake its fist against God mm -hmm. and rebel, as we do once we get you know old enough. I heard... I was reading about another mom and her two children. One was five, and one was a brand-new baby. And the brand-new baby grabbed hold of the five-year-old's hair, and the mom was in the kitchen. And the baby pulls the hair, and the five-year-old yells, Ah! And mom comes around the corner and says, What's wrong? The baby just pulled my hair. She said, Honey, he doesn't know what he's doing. Just be gentle. A few minutes later, the mom hears, ah, from the baby, comes around the corner. Five-year-old says, now he knows what it feels like. <laughs> so there is a point at which these precious little souls 
do <laughs> manifest the fullness of our depravity and our sinfulness. That's good. And that's when we begin to do the discipling relationship that is going to awaken someone to their need for a savior, to trust in Christ and yeah. give their life over uh, to him. But uh, that little funny well, story. <laughs> that's helpful. And a lighter heart, uh, what you were saying. It was very meaningful. Well, I, I was very excited to hear that today 25-some people raised their hands yeah, and said, the I'm, I'm uh, interested in being baptized and yeah. want to take the next step. And so if there are others who are joining us in this conversation want to do that, you can head on over to faithbridge.org slash baptism and let us know. We'll have a chance to walk you through the process and uh, take care of business between you and the Lord and uh, celebrate that moment with you. I also would invite you to come back and be part of our online ministry at faithbridge.org podcast, where you'll find more information to can help you in your discipleship journey. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Thank you for being part of it today. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.